Namotasa Bhagavatu Rahatu Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavatu Rahatu Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavatu Rahatu Sama Sambudasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Masami So often what one of the um, striking things about um, Buddhist practice, a lot of it is based on, seems to be based on forms that emphasize stillness. Yeah, so we're not, it's not really very exciting. <laughs> it's not like a great, cele- apparently very celebratory in terms of its forms. There's not a lot of jubilation or, you know, there is, it's always there's a kind of peripheral to the, the main thing which is very much a, Kind of emphasis on stillness or moving towards stillness. So, stillness, of course, can seem like a non event, something we're not doing. Excuse me. But it's really about finding a, a place where we digest experience rather than keep adding more to it, which is the Kind of, uh, there's enough going on already. Yeah. So we're really looking for uh, forms that encourage us to uh, digest what's going on, to really take it more deeply. Mm. Yeah. And then a lot of the practices that we learn specifically are just about developing a good digestive system. <laughs> And then from that, the miraculously or wonderfully, from just kind of actually digesting what comes in, something beautiful arises that uh, gives brightness and hope and uh, joy and humour, warmth, kind of arises naturally. Yeah. So like. Uh, you know, we can look at the sense of digesting as something that uh, we do every day. We do spend some time just sitting, you know, feeling what's happening in our minds, in our bodies, in our life. You know, the pressures, the urgencies, the fears, the expectations, the things we feel we should be doing, things we feel we've got wrong, other people, all of that, kind of taking that on, accepting it. You know, Accepting it so fully that we don't uh, we don't get stuck in it. There's a there's a slight contradiction there in terms of the words because acceptance can feel like a very kind of passive, resigned, you know, well, that's it. What can you do about it? But that isn't full acceptance. That's a reluctant acceptance. <laughs> that's a kind of acceptance of defeat or resignation acceptance. Mm. Full acceptance is you really take it in. You really take it in. And uh, you take in who you feel you are. You take in what you feel like your life is doing. You take in the feeling, of, which for most people have got some sense of it's not quite right. There's some things that don't seem to be resolved. Things we think we wish we'd done ten years ago. Things we th- wish we hadn't done ten years ago. Um, things with people we wish we'd met or been with and things we like to be and so forth. Is that kind of sensitive for most people is that there's some quality of things that are not resolved, not, not uh, yeah, things that are not quite worked out right, yeah. things we've done wrong. 
Yeah. So if we think the acceptance doesn't mean saying, well, that's the end of the story, that's the sum total. It means we, instead of putting, you know, running away from that or putting new input in to cover that up, we take that. We take it so fully that we don't get stuck in it. When you take it in very fully, like there's no, at this moment, there's no choice, there's no alternative, there's nothing other than that. Something that stops. And what stops is the process of, uh, of the churning, the proliferation, the agitation, the worry, the guilt, the if-onlys. So it leads to that, that complete acceptance, like it's choiceless, it's like this, leads to a certain stopping of the uh, agitations or the expectations, the proliferations, the emotional resonances. It's like this, being born's like this. You know, having a body's like this, uh, having done, you know, made mistakes is like this. You know, the character that one has is like this. The karma, the, res- the things we've accumulated, things we've done in our life are like this. It's like that, you know. And instead of oh, if it was only, oh, she never is like that. He, they couldn't. It should be like this in the books, and I wish I was. And why would I ever? When am I ever going to get past this? Instead of mental agitation, we just become still with that. And amazing enough, when we become still with that, rather than just solidifying those impressions, something that starts that the agitation, the fear, and the self-forming that occurs around it begins to stop. You see, it's just that. It's just that. It's just the regret. It's just the mood. It's just the feeling. It's just the emotion. It's just that. Desperation is just the trembling, the agitation in the heart. Let's stop. And then, now there's a possibility, clearly we can begin. Clearly we're set clear, we're made clear. We're set free by that acceptance. We're set free by it. So now you have the moment. Now this moment, you could start. Just this moment, you can start. So complete, full acceptance always gives room for aspiration. As I was teaching a, a retreat in America in a couple of months ago, and one of the retreatants uh, was whole body was uh, riddled with the cancer. So she didn't know how long two weeks, four weeks, a week, month, two months maybe, but definitely absolutely no no cure of that. No way no no nothing but that. And she was saying, you know, this life it's just like coughing up hairballs was the expression she used. <laughs> it's like coughing up hairballs, like where the cat does. Just just all you can feel all these kind of if onlys and oh it should be this way and whatever happened. Whatever. Just feel that little kind of undigested piece of regret or guilt or self-pity and just <laughs> coughing it up you now's know, like, the time just cough up your hairballs <laughs> rather than keep sucking them and chewing them and <laughs> trying to get you know getting more identity and juice out of them just cough them up you know <laughs> like what else what else do you is going to think you know <laughs> so she was quite joyful because there's a feeling of like well you know that was, it was like that it was like that and now you know when you cough it up live that moment of clarity and the coughing up is, is not uh, rejection or dismissal but something the system just has had enough with blaming with with uh, self-criticism, it's just had enough of doing that. It just, and it automatically, there's a sense in which the system just kind of throws it out. You don't have to do it. As a, a heart is finished, it's spat it out. It's, it's, it's finished with it. It's gone. You know. This is what true uh, spiritual acceptance in the spiritual sense is about. You know. It's like what you call it... Uh, Vipaka, or results. 
it's an aspect of the what's called the the presentation Buddhist presentation, presentation on karma. Karma is action. We park a results. So, for example, the result one result is we have a body. The result of being born is you have a body. Once you have a body, well, that means you're, you're basically on the sitting there as a target for old age, sickness, and death. <laughs> That's the result, you know. Whatever else you do, whatever way you do your hair, or when you want to colour your paint, you want to paint your nails, or how big or small you want to make it, you know, that's all just details. That's just that's just the wrappings. Basically, you, you're onto the road for the bodies, what bodies do, in all of them, you know. Some of them produce children, some of them, you know, become uh, athletes, some of them do wonderful things, some of them, but they all, you know, basically die. <laughs> Sooner or later, and they don't like it. <laughs> they don't really look forward to it. They don't want to do it, but they do. So you have to recognise also the resistance and the fear and the and not wanting it to be that way. Okay. So you know what? Wherever the acceptance comes in, at whatever place we can find our mind, you know, has enough. So instead of trying to be someone who doesn't feel frightened of dying, we can at least accept the sense of, I don't want to die, you know. Okay, that's, that's the place where, it, where the mind says, okay, I, this is the bit I can get around, you know, I can experience that feeling, you know. I can contemplate that. Or maybe you, do, you just contemplate the fact of passing away or whatever it is. So there's the sense as the body is is called vipaka, the result. The uh, you say the sense organs are results. If you've got eyes, you're going to see things. Your ears, you're going to hear things. And uh, we will recognise that with these sense organs, you see things that are delightful, attractive, uh, pleasant, unpleasant. You're always being got at. You know. So the Buddha said consciousness is like being. Uh, Stab with spears. Sense conscious. Because as soon as you open, you open your eyes, things start coming into you, don't they? <laughs> Attractive things, terrible things, interesting things. So it's got something's always getting at you. You know, you don't even recognise it really until maybe you, if you've been meditating for a long while, for you know, for an hour, or two hours, or three hours, you're sitting there, and suddenly you open your eyes, and wow, all this stuff suddenly comes going, and your mind starts moving around with it. That's the result of the senses. Sense organs are like that. The mind base. The mind basically is like a, isn't a thing at all. But the mind is a whole system of things in orbit. It's like more like um, radio signals just bleeping around. You know, that's what it does. It thinks. It remembers. It plans. It adds up. It subtracts. It divides. It multiplies. It, It it. Goes off and does little um, um, fantasies. It it muses. It proliferates. It it uh, what about this? It dreams. It fantasies. It fantasizes. It's a monkey. Monkeys are like this. You know, the mind is like that. So you're trying to make the mind be something still. This is like trying to get a monkey to turn into a Buddha. <laughs> It doesn't really do that. You know, our thinking mind, our emotions like that. But we can find this place of just... Once it, the interesting thing is it just this sense of it's like that. It's like that. It's like that. There's, a, there's something, something else is able to... The sense of detaching or non-attaching or non-feeding that movement engagement and instead what can come up is a response of calmness, coolness peacefulness the mind is like this and just so we begin to see the possibility instead of being this vipaka this uh, inheritance 
we can start to more relate to it, not as self, not as mine, not as something that one wants to seek perfection in or build a house out of or make permanent or lasting, but just like that. It doesn't mean it's wretched, it just means it's like that. Uh, you know, uh, what you know, what else could it be? And that quality of knowing it's like that, the knowingness of that, itself has a, has a stillness of non, no position, no territory. It's just a stillness and a peacefulness that uh, as you touch into it, you think, wow, what about that? What's that? Is it something that doesn't want things to happen or is it something that is just not involved in the happening it's the place this place where we're able to acknowledge the vipaka the results the inheritance which is all about movement and change and um, things never achieving finality you know, the body, the senses, the mind, the world, society, people, events, they just keep rolling on, don't they? This to that, to this to that, to this to that. What else? They, that's what they do. Yeah. And uh, something in us can try to find a place where it all finalizes into some, you know, state. Just talked to a friend of mine the other day, and he was. 60s saying well you know I've been working since I was 16 for this period of time the idea was once you when you get to be 63 64 you'd have done all you needed to do done all the doing bit work, so you get to this place where you could reap the harvest <laughs> and there isn't a harvest it's just <laughs> just you know, there's problems, uh, people with their uh, wives ill, um, you know, financial problems, there's kids. There isn't the harvest that, you know, you thought you were going to get when you started off. You know, work like crazy now and at the end of it, there's the big payoff. There isn't a big payoff. There isn't a final, you know, curtains open wide and the chorus sings, you know. <laughs> Da-da, here you are, you've made it, congratulations. <laughs> it doesn't happen. So we can't, you know, it's not like you get to a point when you can stop. You don't kind of get to the final point through, through movement. You get to the final point now. You retire now. <laughs> you find the point now which is already re- retired. <laughs> it is already at that place. Because you know, it's not expecting, not demanding, not confused. So this is the value of, of acceptance. And just sense what it's like, you know, because of the dramas that we all have and uh, feelings of things not being the way they should be that we all have various reasons for it sense if only and don't feel quite good enough and yeah so and so and so you know it's all seems so, so personal and true and real and for each and every one of us it has that quality that's why it's good to when you sit and meditate just to recognize that whatever you're experiencing Somebody else has been there too. Somebody else has been at the place where, you know, they got let down or they didn't get the the reward that they were expecting or didn't get the answer they were looking for. The, the, the meaning of life didn't suddenly become clear. You know, everybody, everybody's been there. And it always comes down to just that resistance, the agitation, the feeling if lack or dukkha that has to be accepted if we don't accept it then we stick to it we get caught in it we're always trying to spit it out 
trying to swallow it, trying to break it down, trying to find something else to eat. But actually, if you accept it, it, it coughs up by itself. So it's just that. It's just the results of life, of birth, of consciousness, of sense consciousness, of, you know, like this. Now, that acceptance is not by any way saying, well, you know, just put up with it. That's not a resignation. We're not condoning. We're not saying, well, tyrannies are fine and, and sickness is fine and, and being abused is fine and, you know, doing things wrong is fine. Because that, that is, that's, not, that's a resignation where we're, you know, rather than real acceptance. Acceptance is acknowledging these things and what, how, as we acknowledge them deeply with meditation, you feel what they're doing, you know, what it's like to be in a world of incompleteness, of irresolution, of injustice, of difficulties, of violence, to be in that and what it's doing to you. And when you, the acceptance point is to withdraw your contribution to that. So you don't condone it, you don't get wound up by it, you don't start blaming others for it, you can feel those energies in your heart and you just put it down, you put it down, you put it down. And that's part one, you know, it's not the end of the process, this is what we do with Vipaka, that which we receive, that which has come to us, but that complete putting it down, putting down of our mental agitation around it means that there's the possibility for true, for good karma. So, now, karma means action. And it's, uh, I find it somewhat surprising that even in the kind of Buddhist world people think the Buddha didn't teach karma or that karma is some kind of predetermination or destiny or it's not really a Buddhist teaching because it actually karma means action doing things you don't have to be a Buddhist to recognize that we do things it's not some esoteric <laughs> you know it means action and primarily the most significant it means the action of the mind the mental action of picking something up of thinking is karma, is action. Mm. Um, Conscious, intended action of the mind. So you can act with uh, uh, blaming others, blaming yourself, that would be bad karma because it's negative. You can feel the results of that. Or you could have good karma would be acting with a sense of mental action of Okay, let's investigate that experience. Investigation is good karma because it takes you into a deep understanding, takes you into wisdom. So that's called good karma because it leads to the clarification, the resolution, the understanding of our difficulties, problems, uh, other people, where we're hanging on, where attachment is, understanding how life actually is, so that wisdom is, is, is considered good karma. That action of that kind is good karma. And the thing to uh, bear in mind is that there's never a reason why one can't generate good karma. There's nothing to stop you doing that. And the quality of good karma is it has a pleasant, uplifting feeling to it. And uh, the Buddha says it is impossible that the experience of good karma could be anything other than pleasing. And it is impossible that the experience of bad karma could be anything other than displeasing. <laughs> it cannot be. Yeah? So, just being able to think a forgiving thought has a pleasant, brightening quality to it. Once you've accepted, okay, it was like that. And then instead of the resentment or the worry or the guilt, okay, it was like that. Now, well, let's begin again. That's called good karma. And you can feel the result of that. The immediate sense of that is a pleasing, uplifting quality to it. So, 
karma is not about uh, predestination. It's about making, being able to make a clear, conscious choice. So choice is part of karma. It's, it's not predetermination. It's choosing, intention. And where we get stuck is that a lot of the time that we park the results of our life leave us feeling so numbed or confused because we don't handle them. We haven't been able to really t- to, to get to the point of handling them. That we just react rather than acting consciously, just react. And the reaction can be, the, which is calm associated with delusion or blindness, which means, oh, well, it's just like that. Oh, well, it's his fault. Oh, well, that's my fault. You know, it's a, a kind of pigeonholing or shoving or dismissing. Well, you know, I'm pretty messed up. Oh, well, she's like that, you know. So in that way, we, we kind of seal the past. You know, we seal it off as something that can never really be freed from. We, we've kind of frozen it. We've freeze-dried it. We've, ca- we've caught it. We've left it inside ourselves. Yeah? So the act of resignation or dismissing or personalizing or identifying is already an act of a delusion. Because who is that? Who is that person? You know, when you find yourself uh, these inner stories that we have going for us about ourselves or other people, who are they? Aren't they being created in your mind right now? Isn't the impression you have of yourself something that your mind is creating right now? Where else is it? And you study it. Who you think you are. How you assess yourself. And it's a a delusion because it's something that we almost have no choice in. You're just captured by it. You get caught in it. Keep identifying with it. And it's one of the most powerful forces we have going. Such that uh, it becomes extremely, the mind is almost reluctant to come out of the trance of our history. We'd sooner have a kind of crummy, dog-eared, de-self position than not have any. We'd sooner have a kind of dog-eared slavery that we're used to rather than freedom. Or something would. Something we'd sooner sit, you know, sit inside, chewing over, regurgitating the past and saying, this is what I am, I am. And blah, blah, blah. Sooner to do that than just say, enough, stop. Enough. Now what's, skill, what's good to do? Now what's the skillful action now? Hmm? This is what this is called ignorance and craving. Because yeah. you, you know, when you realise that what you do compulsively, almost without a choice, compulsively, you do that makes you feel bad, and yet you can't stop doing it. Yeah, this is this is good addiction, right? It doesn't do you good. You keep and you keep doing it some more. <laughs> It's called, yeah. And we're addicted to self, to a self-creation, to a self-view. Why do we keep doing it? Why is it when we sit still so often we start, something in the mind starts creating who we are? Yeah. Assessing the day, how one was, how one wasn't, things one did right, things one did wrong, this is who I am. You know? And rather than just assessing that was that action, that behaviour, that memory, but really wanting to make somebody out of it. And something is feeling that you could make something good out of it. Uh, most often you make something that's kind of manageable, but not that great. But to not make anyone out of it, is like, you know, just to think, oh, that's the past. That's a thought, that's a memory right now. And the memories are, are believed in. 
And it's quite, it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, well, a fact. I don't know if there's such things as facts, but there are certain um, experiments that have been conducted on memory where people can't remember things that didn't actually happen. And the more often you go to a memory, the more you distort it. So if you remembered something 20 times, you've had 20 distortions of that. It's like, you know, it's like, like ripe tomatoes. Every time you grab hold of it, it gets a little more dented and squashed. <laughs> so if you get hold of that memory, particularly the memory, you know, these kind of really uh, kind of uh, old tomato memories, <laughs> which are juicy and nobody really want to buy one, and the skin's falling off them, they're pulpy, and you, here we are, here's me again. You know? And you go, then you pick it up and squeeze it one more time, it gets even more pulpy and messy. Yeah? And it's been shown that, these, that the memory, every time you remember something, the mind distorts it in accordance with how it's doing the remembering. So if we keep remembering things with the mind of regret, for example, then that which we regret becomes more and more regrettable because the quality of regret we keep putting into that memory uh, actually recognise that what we do is mostly causes, conditions, reactions, and like that. Yet the memory will tend to create it as if, you know, now, who you are now can judge who you were 20 years ago from the position of where you are now and isolate that as if there were no other factors apart from your own, your own actions and intentions that took place. And so we're carrying, carrying around these, uh, these impressions, never coughing them up. There was a, a man here who used to come and tell people he'd stay, he used to stay here for a while and, he goes, you know, and um, every now and then he goes, you know, I murdered my wife, you know. So it was like 20 years ago or something. Okay, you know, so, yeah, obviously not good. And he, it was one of those, it wasn't a cold-blooded murder, it was kind of confused accidents losing tempers and so forth and he accidentally you know, so he'd been he obviously been in jail for that and done time with that and okay you know she's not going to come back but he's still carrying that as if that's all he ever was and uh, he'd like to tell people I mean, to get that same almost as if that would help people to reject him, as if he needed to be rejected, to keep somehow atoning for what he'd done. So he'd do things that you know, would bring out this memory, so that people would feel, oh no, you're a murderer. You know. I murdered a fly 40 years ago, I think I'd better come up and tell you about this now. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm I, <laughs> it was brutal, <laughs> it was savage. Okay, you know, so human beings a lot more than a fly. But the act of, of violence and aversion and so on, and acting upon it is always, you know, regrettable, foolish, stupid and so forth. But when do you get to the end of that action? When do you get to the end of that action? Is it helpful to keep just going over it, over and over it, over it again? You know, you know, and people do can be worse than things than that. Like, you know, I didn't love my mother well enough, or I wasn't, you know, I was a bit nasty to my dad. 
Okay, all right, well that was 35 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the things we feel we haven't done, that we should have done, which is even more pointless than regretting the things you have done, regretting the things you didn't do. When are you going to get to the end of that? There's a lot of things I didn't do, I should have done. But you can get home in on those as if that's all that you are. So this thing in your mind, the unresolved karma, the unresolved is called the unresolved vipaka, is the bits that our mind keeps coming back to. And, and so when we, when we sit quietly, often you find yourself forming out of this unresolved karma. Why didn't I do that 20 years ago? Why did I marry so-and-so? Why didn't I marry so-and-so? Why did I buy that? Why didn't I buy that? You know, If only I got one of those and so forth. You keep going back to that. If only I was more resolute. If only I was you know, uh, clearer or less impulsive or less of a warrior or more generous or something. You know. When does it end? We sort of find ourselves overwhelmed with these perceptions and memories of ourself. So that then the actions in the f- that we, we do are always based upon that feeling of inadequacy, failure, m- mistake, guilt, intimidation, not very really good, not worthy. So all the karma that we act, that we create from that place is all muddled and confused whatever action we do based upon that sense of self is going to be muddled and confused and uncertain, lacking confidence and lacking clarity. So this is why it's important that where does it end? It doesn't end through denying it. It doesn't end through saying it didn't happen. It doesn't end through shrugging it off. It ends through that place of stillness. Just, okay, this is the experience. This is the memory now. Whether it's true, deluded, Whatever it is, now it feels like this. I mean, it's the feeling. So, the process of meditation is often a a reduction of many, many shimmering images down to certain basic feelings. You know, like fear, regret, guilt, pain, sorrow, craving, anger. It's come down to the root of it. You realise actually you don't have so much to deal with. Basically, you've only got three things greed, hatred, delusion. <laughs> so that simplifies it. You know, nothing else you really have to deal with apart from that. The uh, rest of it's fine. <laughs> but the bits that we get stuck in. The bits that suddenly seem so big are like that. And the biggest one of them is delusion. Because delusion is the one you don't, you don't see it. If you see it, you wouldn't be deluded. So delusion by itself is difficult to see. Difficult to see. It, you know, because otherwise, greed, you know what that's like. Hatred, you know it's like that. But the delusion, and delusion covers all of them. Yeah. And the fundamental delusion is the sense of self. The sense of I am this is the fundamental delusion. I should be this is a delusion. I was this is a delusion. I will be this is a delusion. I should be this is a delusion. I shouldn't be this is, is that's another delusion. Because when you come down to it, who is that? How is that created? And it's just created out of the, out of the agitation of being able to, and the, the inability to handle the feeling of hurt, of loss, of hunger, of craving, of whatever. Yeah. So that delusion kind of puts this bandage, this wrapper around it, I am. But by that, by doing that, it, it, it internalizes and makes it lasting. So our you know, in meditation and in, in Dharma practice you use careful, considered attention to investigate you know, what we're trying to digest. Who is this? 
how is this? How am I with this feeling, this thought, this memory, this emotion? Can I find a place of standing beside it, of sitting with it, of being with it rather than in it? Hmm? So being with it means we're not pushing it away, we're not taking it in. Just you know, stand beside that sense of you know, my inadequacy, my failure. Stand beside that. Stay still beside that. Don't leave it. Stay still with that. And it starts to unfold by itself, the coughing up hairballs. It's like a very, uh, almost like an involuntary forgiveness. We clean it, we need to clean out that uh, regret through, through penetrating this illusion of self. And you know, when you begin to contemplate it, greed is like this, craving is like this, covetousness is like this, is that particular energy that rises up. But when you contemplate it clearly, you see, where does it go? You know, I want one of those. If I only had one of those, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? How many times have you heard that signal? <laughs> you know, the, the, the kind of way we lose ourselves with that. We lose ground with that. We lose our presence with that. We suddenly get lost in the object. And how many times do you want to do that? Does it take one to a place of feeling completed, satisfied? A tad. Otherwise you wouldn't do it at all. There's this momentary hit. Oh. Oh. And then, oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. You don't actually get things, do you? You don't get things. And aversion, you don't really, by being averse to something, you don't really get away from it, get rid of it. You just go, ah, ah. And then something else is irritating. It's like scratching an itch. You scratch it a bit and you get that momentary sense of, ah, it's gone away. Oh, here it comes again. <laughs> So, but just taking the delusion is not really seeing this process. So you can clear that away. The mind will start to educate itself through really witnessing that process. So, one of the fundamental karma that leads to the end of karma, the karma that leads to the end of all these reactions and goings on and making more of things and make, trying to get rid of things and trying to change things and wanting to be something other the karma that leads to the end that leads to this freedom this space this stillness that is not a resistance to movement a stillness that knows the heart within movement you could say the unmoving within movement karma that leads to that way is called the karma of the eightfold path those actions, those intentions, those inclinations, or the karma of the, the actions of investigation, mindfulness, um, concentration, equanimity, very subtle actions, but definite inclinations of mind that, that you place instead of going to the reactions of the oh I am or she is or that. You know, stop. Enough of that. Now, aspiration, you know, it's a word, very important word. It doesn't mean, fa- you know, fantastic idealism. It means that we keep, we don't give up on ourselves. We don't give up on our possibility for freedom. We, you know, if we've been ignorant for 95 years, you still don't give up the possibility that now, now it can stop. And sometimes it takes 95 years to get to the point where you've actually realised that all that you're doing is not going anywhere. You know, Sometimes it can take that time for the penny to drop. What do you keep doing this for? The aspiration is we keep that sense of we could for a moment be free. 
Who knows how long that will last? But we could touch it for a moment. And maybe that moment will be quite transformative. Because once you've experienced that quality of the stopping, the releasing, even just for a moment, you don't, something you know is that. You know, in a way, the game may be playing, but you're not convinced by it anymore. And you start to see the places, perhaps, get more interested in where where you're getting caught. What's the quality of delusion? This incredible uh, thing that we don't see. How could you track it? How could you trace it? Well, delusion has the sense of permanence to it. This will go on for a long time. I am always this way. I always have been this way. Life is this way. People are that way. That's, that's one sign of it. It's got a sense of makes something that's happening now into something that has existed in the past and pertains into the future. Actually, you don't know the past. You only have a memory and an expectation. So one of the signs of it is anything that goes always, never, I am, I will be, they always do. When you hear that voice, you know, this is the voice of delusion. Where does it take you to? Yeah. Notice where it takes you to, what it feels like, what it does to you, where it goes. Hmm? Another sign of delusion is that it's about um, self. I am. And it's about satisfaction. So, if I had one of those, I'd be alright. Once I get that, I'll be fine. We sort that out, everything will be okay, won't it? <laughs> well, you just well, we'll sort of bomb them, you bomb those people, that'll be the end of war, won't it? We'll, you know, we'll invent this and everyone will be happy. Uh, we'll get another labour-saving device and we'll have, we'll have leisure time. I remember seeing this programme when I was a boy, I think it was about 11, called Tomorrow's World. And they were saying, by the year 2000, according to scientific advice, there'll be one factory making all the light bulbs in the world. People will be working two days a week and people will be yachting and play, golfing and all the rest of the time will just be goofing around and be so leisurely by the year 2000 all everything will have sorted everything out, you know. <laughs> the advancements of technology. Tomorrow's world, you know. Where are it's just people are crazier than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Flat out. <laughs> what happened to that one, you know? <laughs> But if you just worked a bit harder, it's just around the corner, isn't it? Happiness is just around the corner. So keep going. It's just around the corner now. So work a bit harder, because it's just around the corner. And uh, buy something new, because it's just around the corner. And then, well, keep going, doing more of that, because it's just around the corner. It's like running around a, a treadmill with this sign on it saying, just around the corner. <laughs> you, find, you keep seeing this sign flashing up faster and faster as you go around. <laughs> just around the corner. <laughs> so it's the sign of, that's the sign. If you get one of those going, you know, that, that however gli- glittering that light, that neon lights are that say just around the corner. <laughs> That's a sign of delusion. There's nothing around the corner apart from where what's happening now. <laughs> More of the same. If you haven't resolved it now, it's going to, not going to resolve around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So we can be happy now just by you know recognizing that there could be the happiness which is just the happiness of of humour and warmth and release and letting go and relaxing and you know <laughs> yeah. mm. so there's the signs to look for, the signs of permanence, the signs of the 
happiness. By this I don't mean that we can't be happy, but when it's happiness that's postponed, you know, happiness that pulls rather than contentment, then you know this one. Check it out. Check it out for yourself. If you find a corner that happiness is just around, you let me know about it. Is that a deal? <laughs> so those are the things to watch out for. You know, this is where if you don't catch these, you can really be on slipping and sliding on the karmic treadmill for a long time. And aspiration is just this that right now we could see that and if we haven't you know because if you you haven't actually done that there's that you don't really know that something else other than just that movement but you don't have to do it for long just like you know you're bound to stop it just for a moment for a second for five seconds just to recognise there is something other than just that continual pull of movement to something else this is when we've really digested taken it in, chewed it, sat with it taken it down, broken it down to where we are what's underneath all this where we are this is where the crucible of stillness is so important Anyone? Anyway.